ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. It may just be the regular season, but Andre Drummond says these are must-win games. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and on ESPN Plus. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. I am Amber Wilson. She's Courtney Cronin. We are taking you up until 7 o'clock Eastern. You can tweet to us at Courtney R. Cronin, at Amber W790. You can also join the conversation on the Canty Collin line at one eight 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 say espn We are asking you, is the Brooklyn Nets season considered a success if they get bounced at any point in these playoffs give us a shout 888-729-3776 so the nets are currently seated in the eighth spot in the east uh, with a 42 and 38 record they have their final two games andre drummond says they are must wins if they do win both they will end up the seventh seed and have home court for the play-in to talk all things brooklyn nets and nba we bring in nick friedel espn nba reporter and Nick, I saw yesterday Seth Curry found himself very inspired by Tiger Woods. He said, if Tiger can go out there at Augusta and he can play through pain, so can I. How healthy is this Nets team? Not very. <laughs> because Seth, Seth still has an ankle issue that he says isn't going to be healed until he takes a month off after the season. Goran Dragic is still dealing with COVID symptoms and has been in Atlanta for almost a week in isolation. So it remains to be seen when he's going to be back. And at this point in the season, the reality is that, yes, every team is dealing with something. But when you have those type of issues and then you have uh, KD, who is playing extremely well, playing a ton of minutes, and Kyrie, who is adjusting again to playing every other day. Uh, they have a lot of questions on this team, but the, the, the health issues are, are right at the forefront because the one name that I didn't mention yet is, of course, Ben Simmons. And, Courtney, you and I have been talking about it for weeks now. The Nets just have no idea if or when he will return. And if you were betting right now, you'd probably bet that he wouldn't be back at all. But there's a reason why they've left the door open because they know that if he does get healthy and they do make a long playoff run, they'll take the 10 or 15 minutes that he may be able to give them at some point. But this is an issue uh, up and down this roster right now, and it's a thing that a lot of teams are dealing with. The Nets are locked into one of four play-in spots. Their final status, though, is not going to be determined until the end of the regular season on Sunday. So they have Cleveland at home tonight, and then they have the Pacers on the road to finish out the regular season. They're eyeing that seven seed, and they're in a spot now, Nick, where they can control their own destiny. How do they make sure that they can ride the momentum of the last two wins, which you know we typically laud? come from behind victories in the NBA, but with this team, it feels like they've been in that spot way too many times, and we're wondering why they keep putting themselves in position to have to come back from behind 21 points against a team like the New York Knicks. How viable that's going to be for their playoff future. Where do they go here in order to lock in that number seven seed and start actually cashing in on some of the expectations that we had for them in the preseason, that they are a team that can make a deep postseason run? Biggest problem the Nets have is inconsistency. They don't know night to night 
what kind of team is going to show up. And that's been the case for several months. That's been the case over the last week. And so any momentum that they would have built in that second half the other night at the Garden, they don't know if it's going to carry over. (laughs) And for all the different answers that have popped out of this team uh, over the last seven to ten days, I thought the most interesting one was Seth Curry this morning. I asked him, well, how do you you find uh, the right rhythm going into the playoffs? And he said, we just have to play better. We just have to find a way to, to string some wins together because if we don't get these two wins, then there's a solid chance we not, may not make it out of the play-in tournament to begin with. And I thought it was a really honest assessment of where because there is still belief internally that they can run the table, even without Ben Simmons, and Kevin Durant can lead the way and they can get to the finals and win it. But – They've also seen the other side of this, which is this is an inconsistent group that has never found a rhythm all season, and this is the wrong time to be trying to find the right lineup to to put in place because uh, you don't have a lot of time to fix what ails uh, this team and has continued to do so over these last few months. Nick Friedel, ESPN NBA reporter, on with Amber Wilson and Courtney Cronin here on ESPN Radio. So, Nick, we mentioned that they can end up in one of several spots here, probably either seventh or eighth. What is the difference there, do you think, for the Nets? Or does it make a ton of a difference whether they get home court in a play-in scenario? They really don't care. (laughs) And that's the truth. I mean, I, I think I've listened to Kyrie and KD so often in these last couple weeks that I believe them that they, they don't care if it's home or on the road. They know that they can beat anybody when they're playing at their best. The problem, as we've outlined, is they really haven't played at their best much over these last six weeks or so. So uh, the key for them would be to win these next two because then you host that first playing game Tuesday, and if for some reason you lose, you're back at home on Friday and you give yourself another chance. So that is the best-case scenario. They think they're going to win these next two. There's no reason to believe that they wouldn't do it because KD and Kyrie are healthy and and ready to roll, but it's the Nets. So what's up is down with this team, and that's been the case for a while. But it would really be beneficial for them to win these next two games, lock up that seventh spot, and at least give yourself an extra chance if you blow that first opportunity on Tuesday. A couple months ago, this team was the number one seed, even when Kevin Durant went down with injury and ended up missing a bunch of games and they went on their skid. Um, there's like kind of this circle of finger pointing and failure and blame, whether it's Harden quitting or Katie's injury, Kyrie being a part-time player in the Vax mandate, Joe Harris's injury, Steve Nash, what have you. But we bring up the expectations for this team. They were sky high coming into the season and really sky high until about two months ago still because they have Kevin Durant, because they have Kyrie Irving, and because they're a team that was built and and constructed to win a championship. So, Nick, how deep of a playoff run do they have to make in order for this season to be considered a success? I don't see how, if you're a Nets fan or or you're even a casual observer, that you can deem this Nets season a success unless they make the final. And with the expectations that they did have and the transition that they've gone through, they still have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And now they have Kyrie full time. And every team deals with injuries and every team deals with uncertainty 
over the course of the season. But I don't know how you look at a team that was built to win a title this year. And if they fall short of that goal, at least they don't make the finals. I don't know how anybody could look at it and go, yep, this is successful. Because this team was built for right now. They weren't built for three or four years from now. And that's been the interesting part of what Durant has been saying these last few weeks. Because his point is, hey, the the narrative has shifted a little bit. We have Simmons. We don't know when we're going to get him back. But we're built for the long haul. But that's not the reality of what has occurred over these last few months. So, I'm as curious as anybody to see how this plays out for the group. But the only way this season, to me, is a success is if they get to ultimately where they want to go. And given the way they played and performed recently, I think that is a tall order going into whatever the play-in tournament may bring. You can join the conversation with the question that Courtney just asked Nick yourself, the listener, one eight 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 say ESPN. How deep of a playoff run do the Nets have to make in order for this season to be considered a success in Brooklyn? That is triple eight seven two nine three seven seven six. Nick Friedel, ESPN NBA reporter. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Always, y'all. Thanks for having me. The Nets. It's championship or bust, Courtney. I'm here to tell you it's championship. Maybe Eastern Conference title or bust, but when you still have Kevin Durant on your team, that is always going to be the expectation. And I assume that he has smaller shoes this year, hopefully, if he does find himself in another Eastern Conference finals. Coming up next, LeBron James's left ankle is still swollen. So he's going to be missing the final couple games of the regular season and then also the postseason because the Lakers suck. We dive into that. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. LeBron, you've had a lot of answers in your basketball career for various problems. Are you finding any that you can think about? just feel like you can't catch a break, you know, when it rains, it pours for our year. What a bucket that the Lakers would not even make the playoffs. Our goal was to win a championship. A lot of soul searching to take place during the offseason. We didn't get it done. Can't make no, no excuses about it. We don't know who's going to win the NBA scoring title, but we know who's not going to. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive can help you protect your home, auto, boat, motorcycle, ATV, and RV, plus plenty more. And if something wasn't mentioned that you had in mind, find out if it can be covered at Progressive.com or give them a call at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE because it probably can be. So we don't know if it's going to be Giannis or Embiid. It's probably going to be Joel Embiid winning the scoring title in the NBA this season, but we know it will not be LeBron James. As incredible as he has been this season, We have seen LeBron play 56 games headed into tonight, and you need to have played 58 in order to be eligible for the scoring title in the NBA. And it is official. LeBron ain't playing another one this season, Courtney. He is finishing the season at 37 years old, averaging 30.3 points per game, 8.2 rebounds, 6.2 assists. Still an unbelievable season from LeBron uh, from all accounts. But him shutting himself down after that disappointing loss to the Pelicans where he did try to come back from that ankle injury, I think that's a two-parter. I think, frankly, he didn't think he was going to win it anyways, so why put your body through that? And then second of all, he realized the Lakers season is over, so what am I doing? What an unbelievable 
way for this season to end. Like, this is icing on the cake for an already horrible season during the NBA's diamond anniversary and all the expectations that were surrounding this Lakers team. I think it's safe to say that it's the most disappointing season from any team in NBA history ever. And it all goes, comes down to LeBron James in this final stretch. He hasn't played a game since March 27th after injuring that ankle where this was the last thing he could hold on to from this season to make a bad into a good at the end of the year by claiming the scoring title. And then when it felt out of reach, that's when all the questions came in of, okay, will they do, will there be that exception potentially? Like you had mentioned the games he had to qualify for and not playing the full threshold. Would there be a way for LeBron James to potentially win the scoring title without reaching that? And, you know, when we were discussing this earlier in the week on ESPN Radio, my brain thought, okay, well, maybe he'll just stand out there uh, against the Oklahoma City Thunder on Friday and just, you know, be there so he can qualify for the number of games in order to claim the scoring title. But they end out of the playoffs for a second straight year. LeBron ends the season prematurely for a second straight year. And it's just so frustrating to watch this whole thing kind of come to a head. But I think the silver lining is that this Lakers team – What's happening in the front office all the way down to, you know, the end of the roster and the bench that they don't have. There are going to be some massive changes coming this offseason for the Los Angeles Lakers and, and potentially with LeBron at the very center of that. Well, there have to be some massive changes, although it's not going to be easy for this Los Angeles Lakers team to make changes happen. The Lakers have the Thunder tonight. That is a 10.30 p.m. tip-off. They have the Nuggets on Sunday. LeBron won't be out there for either of those games. And frankly, Courtney, if he had been chasing the scoring title, I think maybe it actually would have looked bad. Like, yes, if he was able to get it, I guess it would have been a silver lining in an otherwise terrible season. But I don't think any Lakers fans would have felt better about him winning the scoring title in a season where they didn't even make a play-in scenario to attempt to make the postseason. So I, I don't know if it would have been worth it for him to even try to capture it. I also think, frankly, that what he saw Joel Embiid do here over the last few days, he thought, if I even get out there on a bum ankle, like I'm not winning that thing anyways, so then it's going to look even worse if I'm chasing a scoring title that, frankly, is probably out of reach. But you mentioned the Lakers have to make some serious moves this offseason. One of those serious moves, maybe LeBron is looking at them to make is he recruiting Steph Curry to Los Angeles LeBron was on the shop take a listen to what LeBron said who else you want to play with um in today's game Steph Curry Steph Curry is the one that I want to play with for sure in today's game why Steph I love everything Where? about that guy and that mother- when he get out his car you better guard him right from the moment he pulls up to the arena. As soon as he get out of his car, you better oh, guard, oh, so guard him. Oh, yeah, him. You better guard him. You might want to get. You might want to guard him when he get out of the bed. The parking deck. Swear oh, to God. LeBron does need shooters around him in Los Angeles, and apparently he's got his eyes set on one of them. Although, Courtney, I'm not sure Steph Curry is so up for the invitation. Here was Steph Curry responding to Le- LeBron's remarks on 95-7 The Game. You know what? Hey. <laughs> He might want to play with you next weekend now. That is phenomenal. <laughs> when did he say that? Was that on the shop? Yeah. I guess the latest one, like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, he got his, we, we got his wish. So he's the captain. He's picked me the last two uh, All-Star games. So I don't know if that suffices, but I'm good right now. How's that make you feel, though? Good right now. I mean, whenever you get the, uh, the interest or curiosity of what it would be like to play with a 
arguably the you know MVP kind of caliber dude like he is and one greatest of all time. Cool, like it's amazing. Right. Um, we all can live in that fantasy world though. That was such a blow off coming from Steph Curry, where he's like. I'm good right now. I'm good right now. And then he goes on to be like, yeah, it's cool. If you get a player with the greatest of all time, I guess like, it's cool, but no, nah, I'm good. I don't, I don't need all that in my life. Courtney, it doesn't sound like stuff is signing up to play with LeBron, no matter where it is. I mean, I think without LeBron saying it, we know that it's, Hey, Steph Curry come down from golden state to Los Angeles, not the other way around where LeBron would be willing to leave LA and go and play with Steph Curry. Like that's just not what the situation is. And I think Steph Curry without saying that directly read through the tea leaves there and was like, nah, I'm good. But like LeBron, like Steph has kind of been at the center last few years when Kevin Durant was on the Warriors center of the super team talk and, you know, stars in the NBA aligning together to go chase a championship and ring chase. And LeBron's never been shy that the, he's done that. I mean, look at what happened in Miami. He goes down there. He plays with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. He comes back to Cleveland. He plays with Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. He goes out to Los Angeles to do the exact same thing. Like, people can knock other players in the NBA for doing this, but LeBron has fully owned it through his actions. So I think this shouldn't be surprising that at this point of his career, and especially how abysmal this season was for the Los Angeles Lakers, that he's trying to drum up these creative ideas of, oh, how can I, at 37 years old, knowing I don't have that many more years to play at the level I'm playing at, and he still said he wants to play with his son, Bronny. So with that on the table, how do I make the most of my final years in the NBA? And that's playing with one of the greatest scorers of all time. Now, is it though? I mean, I, I in I his mind it is. It's, un- mind, it's unrealistic I- as hell to think that this thing would actually come to fruition because LeBron's changed. You know, he's changed teams throughout his career. That's his mo. He's going to go where he believes he's in the best position to win. Steph Curry has been with Golden State the entirety of his NBA career. Why would we think all of a sudden he wants to leave and go ring chase with LeBron when he's been? know, good on his own up there, and he's got his core still around him with Draymond Green and, and, and Clay Thompson and not necessarily needing to add LeBron and all of the drama that comes with it to his mix up there. Well, and maybe in some crazy world, LeBron would be willing to go up the PCH or whatever it is Highly and head north. And, and it, it, that seems really unlikely. I just I don't know if Steph Curry wants to sign up for everything that comes with playing Le- exactly. with LeBron at this point in his career. Anyway, Steph doesn't need that. But what I also find is interesting about this is if LeBron is, in fact, shooting his shot and not just giving praise to one of his buddies, then I don't feel like LeBron is doing it right because as great as Steph Curry is, like your idea of fixing all of this is to go after the dude in his mid-30s and yes Steph is still great but we're seeing durability issues with Steph now I feel like LeBron isn't doing the GM thing right we need to get a little younger LeBron not pair up with an Anthony Davis who yes is still in his 20s but we know has the durability concerns or a Russell Westbrook who's not aging gracefully or a Steph Curry who's in his mid-30s I think you'd probably need to be heading a different direction coming up next we will head a different direction down to Augusta to check on Tiger Woods' progress at the Masters This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. As of right now, I feel like I am going to play. It's been said for years that Tiger doesn't move the needle. He is the needle. Now everything is focused on how do I get myself into a position where I'm on that back nine on Sunday with a chance.
It is sloppy at Augusta. Those greens are soft and drenched. This is ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Courtney Cronin. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at Courtney R. Cronin, at Amber W790. You can also join the conversation. We're asking you, what would Tiger Woods need to do here to impress you? Does he have to make the cut, or is this already impressive enough? Give us a call on the Canty Call line, 1-888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. So, Courtney, Tiger right now is tied for 28th on the leaderboard. He is at three over par uh, through halfway through his round here today. Uh, it's sloppy out there. It is. It was raining all night. It is, it is hot, it is humid, and it is wet on those greens, and they are playing soft. So there are a lot of golfers struggling. Tiger Woods is one of them. What does this mean to you when you evaluate the feat that Tiger is trying to accomplish in competing? Because I will tell you real quick, my experience with Tiger Woods was, man, just him getting out there and competing for a Masters. I don't even care if he makes the guy. Him walking 18 on those hills is going to be insane the first day. And then I watched him play the first day, and, like, the Tiger effect got me. And now I'm like, nah, I need him to actually somehow compete. Yeah, I mean, he's he's in line right now to make the cut, which I think is incredibly impressive given his streak of making the cut at the Masters. Last time he, he didn't do it was when he was still an amateur in 1996. So right now it's looking good, even though his round today has been sloppy. He had a nice bounce back for a birdie on eight and then parred on nine. And on 10 right now, his approach shot leading off on the back nine was exactly what you would need it to be if you are rooting for Tiger Woods to win this thing and and start getting a little bit of momentum because he started out his round today through the first four holes the exact same way that he did yesterday where he looked off and there were some there were some good moments in there where he was able to kind of steady himself but that's just his thing at the Masters. Like he doesn't start out very well, and you can mm-hmm. tell by his body language and the way that he, you know, reacts. And you know, those microphones at Augusta uh, are really good and picking up <laughs> language and birds and all these other things that you think they're in the house with you when you're watching this on the stream. Um, and I think he's settling down a little bit. Like if you're following along with live coverage in his group, because Louis Oosthuizen, um with Drew Bees of his back, it's him and Joaquin Neiman. Now, Joaquin Neiman's round is going a little bit differently than Tiger Woods right now, which I think is just more of a byproduct of, you know, what Tiger's probably feeling today, Amber, as much as, you know, he's trying to muscle through this. I'm sure the back itself is not feeling great right now, and we probably expected that considering how he finished yesterday, one under par, he finished with a score of 71, and – the, the effects that golf has on, on someone's back, well, you will feel that. And this is somebody who had five back surgeries throughout his life. I mean, I know we've been talking so much about the leg itself, but it was the back that's the bigger concern here if you know Tiger and you know his history. So he's through 10 now. He is now at two over par, uh, one over par overall. And you mentioned his back. He grabbed it yesterday at one point. You saw him in visible pain. I mean, yesterday he was wearing that pain outwardly. He was wearing the pain when it came to his leg, the way that he was favoring the leg when he was walking. I mean, there were times that he looked so stiff walking. I mean, he looked like like an elderly man or something. And and yet he's out there and 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 first of all, in, in insane shape. Uh, I don't I don't know where he had the time to do all this working out. 
out with everything that he's gone through over the last 14 months, in addition to getting back into golf shape in order to compete at the Masters. It has been an incredible trip here for Tiger to even be out there and even be walking these 18 or or 72 if he makes the cut here. Uh, But for him to actually have been competitive yesterday, I think was icing on the cake for most people. But like I said, for me, it kind of had that Tiger effect where since I saw him be somewhat competitive and now I know he's capable of it, now I need him to be all the way competitive, which frankly is ridiculous because as we were heading into the Masters, I kept saying, I don't even need him to be competitive. I just need him to get through the first two days. That's all I need. And I'll be so wildly impressed with Tiger. But then you just get used to watching Tiger and expecting such greatness from Tiger. Tiger. But to your point, he does always start off slow at the Masters. When you pull his rounds from Masters in the past, it's not so different, particularly ones where weather is such a factor. So I guess if you consider that, then you should be wildly impressed right now with how Tiger is playing. He's tied right now at 21 on the leaderboard as things keep moving. And I should mention Scotty Shuffler, who is the world's number one golfer, is right now top of the leaderboard. Yeah, I mean, he's five shots out of the lead. I don't think going in, like, if you were to ask me this last week, obviously we had no clue that he was going to be going down to Augusta. That was the best-kept secret in the sports world until Sunday of last week. But if you were to ask me last week, like, if we knew this and said, okay, Tiger Woods is going to be five shots out of the lead on Friday afternoon, midway through his round, going on to 10, I'd be like, yeah. That's a great accomplishment in its own right, considering what it took for him to come back here. Now, things get things. The, the ante gets upped, though, Amber, as we get towards the weekend, because if you make the cut, there's no more moral victories, I think, at that point. And Tiger Woods would probably be the first person to tell you, like, he's there to win this thing. He's not there to get a trophy for participating in the Masters and just being a member of the 86 Masters tournament. Like, that's just not what he's there for. So how does that change him mentally? Does he look like he's rattled out there? I mean, on his shot on nine, on the second shot, the the club flew out of his hands. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. he clearly didn't like that. And he had some when, very choice words for the yes. uh, golf ball yesterday, which Courtney <laughs> alluded to earlier. You know, it's funny because we were having a conversation earlier in the show about how baseball was so successful with miking up Joey Votto. And I was thinking, maybe we should mic up golfers too. I, I don't know if golf needs it per se. I think baseball needs it. I don't know if golf needs it. But uh, it would be fun to be able to see a little more of that personality We've seen uh, that it. we saw, even if it's not so clean for television. Well, we saw it earlier today. I mean, even Jordan Spieth, who had a really rough round out there and the course is is reflected in that when he triple bogeyed on 12 like it's an unfriendly course and Mm -hmm. it brings out like the rawest of emotion in golfers and honestly it's a conversation that you know we've always wanted to expand upon getting the personalities out of these guys well the course mics themselves bring out (laughs) that personality because it picks up everything they're there for the birds but they're getting the curse words (laughs) That is exactly that's right. What those mics, that's what those mics, those hot mics are getting. So we will keep an eye all day long, all show long. Courtney and I are taking you up until 7 o'clock Eastern here on ESPN Radio. We will keep an eye on Tiger Woods and also everybody else in the Masters because, you know, there's 90 other guys uh, out there playing uh, in the Masters right now. Uh, we don't often talk about that. Tiger Woods stealing all of the attention, but it's just such an incredible comeback story for Tiger. Coming up next, which team is going to be tougher out in the first round? Is it going to be Dallas or Golden State in the NBA? That's next. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio.
The Chicago Bulls, Courtney, have been a strange team to figure out this season because I would say they exceeded most of our expectations for the huge majority of the season. And then they hit a rough patch towards the end of the regular season. They're still very much in the playoff mix. So I don't want to take anything away from where they are currently right now. They're sitting at sixth in the East. So they're not even in a play-in type of scenario. They were actually in the postseason. I think that in and of itself is impressive. I don't have much hope in terms of what they can do from here. It's really hard to trust their defense without Lonzo Ball out there. And then they are 1-12 against the top teams in the East. That doesn't bode well for the postseason. But I also think it's frankly still impressive, even with what has happened here with a late season skid, that the Bulls are very squarely in the mix for the postseason. I mean, the fact is they landed a first-round series. They clinched. And teams like the Brooklyn Nets, which had a lot more, a lot higher expectations and more mm-hmm. talent, on that roster are currently the eighth seed and in the play-in tournament and trying to get into the NBA playoffs this year. So I think that that in itself is something that should be celebrated with this Bulls team that I don't think a lot of people expected to be at this spot. But it's frustrating because they look like a totally different team right now than they did earlier in the season. And you had mentioned Lonzo Ball. We know that he's shut down for the rest of the year because of the knee injury. Like, he's going to keep rehabbing. Hopefully he'll be ready by next year. But it's such a weird injury that they had to shut him down completely and he couldn't run anymore. Like, that's a pretty big deal. And Zach Levine being in and out of the lineup recently, that frustrates Bulls fans because it felt like this thing was – finally trending in the right direction from November all the way really to the all-star break. And then they completely fell apart. But as it pertains to like expectations with the bulls and, you know, teams like the Brooklyn nets in the same, in the same conference and, you know, in the same spot where they're both eyeing the postseason right now, I feel like you can look at the bulls and actually walk away feeling okay about this team this year, knowing that if they do come up short and it's a four game series against Milwaukee in the first round and they don't win any of those four games, like it's going to suck, but it's more expe- it's I think there's like you almost can give like a little bit of a mercy rule there because of how injuries have affected this team and just where the expectations were going into the year. Yeah, I still think that this season was a success, a very different conversation than we had about the Brooklyn Nets, by the way. But for the Chicago Bulls, I think this season was a success. They rebuilt that roster. It it resulted in a really impressive season and, and an interesting team. They still need depth. They still need defense. They need a big leap forward from Patrick Williams. They, they need some things to happen. And of course they need a healthy Lonzo ball. He hasn't played since January 14th with all of those things. When they do come to fruition though, I do think that the Chicago bulls are a very exciting team moving forward, which is all you can ask for. ESPN Radio. We spend a lot of time talking about the top of each conference, but let's spend a little time, Courtney, talking about the middle of the pack. This is ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Courtney Cronin on with you. So in the West, I would say that this is a very top-heavy type of conference. And by top-heavy, I mean A-team in the Phoenix Suns. But I feel like whether it's the Suns to you or whether it's the Suns, the Grizzlies, you know, to you, which we can have that conversation, either way, it's pretty lopsided at at the top of the West. And so we haven't spent a ton of time talking about the rest of the West. That's very much still in the mix. And I'm curious, Courtney, when we're looking there at sort of the middle of the playoff pack, when we're talking about who say the jazz are going to match up with, we're looking at either the Mavericks or it still could pan out where maybe they end up facing the Warriors. 
Who would you rather face if you're the Jazz? Because I don't think that this is as easy as a conversation as people might jump to the conclusion. I think what we do with the Warriors sometimes, frankly, is we live in the past with the Warriors. But do you have any fear at all with the Mavs? I don't, and a lot of that's based on previous history and what this team's issues are in the postseason. But I don't want to face the Warriors if I'm the Jazz right now because they just clinched home court advantage after the Nuggets lost to the Spurs two, three nights ago. So that's um, that's what I would want to avoid. But when you're Dallas right now, they're trying to get out of that first-round hump by having home court advantage in the playoffs. And this is a team that made the seven seed in 2020. Again, last year made the playoffs as a five seed in 2021. And they're fighting to stay in the top four in 2022 to host that first round series. So a lot gets put on Luka Doncic's shoulders and as expected, like that's what you do when you are a superstar player and you are expected to lead your team. But I feel like we've seen history repeat itself with this group too many times where we expect so much more than they're actually capable of serving in the postseason. Now, the Warriors and Steph Curry's injury, that's one thing. And we've seen this before where injuries to Steph in the playoffs end up affecting him far longer than is actually anticipated with the initial timetable. So I think the Warriors are playing this thing smart right now by saying, okay, he's going to come back when he's ready. Like, There's no real rush here, no timetable. Um, this team has gotten itself in trouble, i.e. Kevin Durant, when they rush timetables and set like unrealistic expectations in the past in the postseason. But I think since they have home court advantage and Chase Center now is going to have its first playoffs this year and it's going to be, you know, really incredible environment, they can get dangerous. I've covered this team in the I covered this team in the postseason for two years, and obviously that was a different version of the of the Warriors, what you were referring to of like living in the past there. That I still think a lot of people look at and say, Okay, a younger Steph Curry, a younger Draymond Green, a younger Clay Thompson, when all three have dealt with injuries this year. It's going to be a different version of them now, but they have that depth on their bench that I think is going to outlast them, whereas I don't know if Dallas can potentially you know, hold, hold, hold a candle to that in their own right. I do think that a lot of what we do with this Warriors team is what we were doing with this Warriors team five years ago. Because the only problem with all of those guys that you just mentioned, and listen, the pieces look the same as they did during the dynasty, but we've also seen them all suffer their injuries and Steph Curry and Draymond Green and, and Clay Thompson. And Clay Thompson's been inconsistent since he came back from his injury, given we didn't see him play basketball for a very long time. Draymond had suffered the longest drought in terms of time off uh, that he suffered his entire career when he was injured in January with that back injury and frankly he didn't look the same until really really recently and I'm skeptical because who he has looked the same against teams like the Kings and then with Steph Curry I agree with you that I do think that the Warriors are being extra cautious with their superstar and of course they should be here down the stretch in the regular season because the Warriors are firmly entrenched in these playoffs and what's the point of risking health to Steph Curry even if you are fighting over seeding in the West still but I think that we don't know what Steph is going to look like like he is in his mid-30s do these injuries take a bit more of a toll now in a postseason if you come back just to ramp it up I'm not saying they necessarily do I'm just saying the expectation with all of these pieces with the Warriors I don't know if other teams in the NBA are any more particularly scared of the Warriors than they are of any of these other teams outside of the Phoenix Suns in the West okay Mm -hmm. I'm scared of them and probably everybody else in the West is as well but if you're a jazz type team which given also we could have a conversation about them I don't know if 
if anybody's scared of them because of history uh, repeating itself in these playoffs. But I don't know if the Jazz are looking at the Warriors as any scarier than looking at the Mavericks. I mean, given the Mavericks, they have Luka and then everybody else. But also, I don't really know who else you're scared of on the Warriors outside of Steph Curry at this point in all of those guys' careers. Well, Ian, yeah, the Jazz have three-point shooters as well that can rival what the Warriors throw at you, whether it's Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Jordan Poole. The one thing that you bring up there that when I'm looking at these rosters, what one team has and another team doesn't, Golden State doesn't really have a great center. So that Mm -hmm. could be something that Rudy Gobert can capitalize on and dominate in the paint. Um, They're going to try to neutralize him with small ball. That's the lineup that, you know, that they've used this year, which is really stifled bigs in the Western Conference. But, you know, we know Rudy Gobert for his defense. That's that's the fact. And I think that he can score in the paint at a level that that might actually stifle the Warriors here. And as it pertains to Steph, like, how many games are we expecting it's going to take him to get into a rhythm coming back off of the injury? Like, as we said, the Warriors not really in any sort of rush to get him back, but could that be one game? Could that be two games? And then when you're facing a seven-game series, if you're the Jazz and, fa- and matched up with the Warriors who have home court advantage in the postseason, um, or at least in this first round, like, are you looking at that saying, okay, you can actually steal a game here or there? That might be one way that 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 matchup might actually play to your advantage more than more than just like a disadvantage. You know, when we talk about them in comparison to, say, the Mavs, right, I do think that viably people around the NBA would be scared of Luka, and he's playing the best basketball of his career, and we already knew he was phenomenal. And then when they do overload on Luka, like he does have Jalen Brunson, and he does have Spencer Dinwiddie, and I understand those aren't like huge superstar names, but they are, they have shooting, and they have secondary playmaking for that sort of scenario. But most importantly, the Mavs also have quietly put together that top 10 defense so we look at Dallas and we're like hey they haven't won a playoff series in you know over a decade and we look at the Warriors and we're like hey we're not so far removed from them winning a whole bunch of titles with a lot of these names that look the same and I think that's what we're doing when we talk about who is scarier but it doesn't necessarily feel like we're evaluating where these teams are at right now as we head into this postseason this year it just feels a lot to me like living in the past now I could end up being completely wrong and maybe the Warriors look phenomenal and I'm not even necessarily saying the Mavs are better than the Warriors here I think frankly those two teams are neck and neck I just think it's a lot closer than the narrative sometimes gives it credit for because of the names on that roster in Golden State so it'll all come down to of course health at the end of the day it'll come down to the health of Steph Curry and what he looks like when he does come back from injury I do agree with Courtney that there's probably no rush in terms of bringing him back but I would imagine that in the scenario they're in if he can get back for the first round here you will absolutely see him in the first round contributing and I would think that they've probably been a bit extra cautious with him here down the stretch because why wouldn't they be so it'll be interesting to see how the West that feels very very top heavy with just the Phoenix Suns basically uh, plays out. Coming up next, back to the East we go. Are the 76ers at risk of losing to the Raptors in the first round?